I'm here to talk about joy today. <laughs> we are the most affluent, the richest society that has ever existed on the face of the planet. I'm, uh, I'm an older millennial. I grew up with Generation X, work hard, play hard, uh, Generation Xers that kind of helped to raise me. Um, so I kind of get the best of both worlds. I remember the first dial-up modem we had in our house. The <laughs> right? So as a teenager, as a kid, like, you're not doing anything secret on the internet from 13 to 16 because everybody in the house can hear what you're doing. We live in a world that's richer than it's ever been. When we hold a phone in our hands, which some of you, y'all are broke in this room, and you bought a $1,200 phone, by the way, and it's kind of like more of a lease because you're just going to turn it back in anyways. Yeah. All right. They got you. But my generation, the millennials, are in fact the richest group of people that have ever existed on the face of the planet. There's a story, um, for those of you that um, were around in the 1980s, there's a story of um, Gorbachev actually going to a grocery store which, which, with who was then Vice President uh, Bush. And he said, okay, now show me where the real grocery store is. And he's like, what? Like, what are you talking about? This is like a grocery store. Because they had stopped randomly along the way. They'd stopped the motorcade and shown him a grocery store. He goes, okay, show me the real one. And he's like, this is, this is how they all are. The abundance that we live in is mind-boggling. It's wild. And that being said, almost half of all Americans at some point will be on antidepressants. We are more disconnected from each other than ever before. If you talk to a really young millennial, they can't carry a conversation. <laughs> Sometimes they don't know how to outside of, of technology. And beyond just young awkwardness. <laughs> we are sadder, more depressed, more addicted, more frustrated more unable to stay stable, we move jobs more often than any generation before us, and we are richer than mankind has ever been before. And I, I mean, compared to anything, anything pales in comparison to how wealthy as a nation we actually are. And you know who kills themselves the most, who has the most suicide attempts of anybody, anybody are Upper middle class white men. That's me in about 10 years. The richest, with the most at their fingertips, are by far the most frustrated, the most angry, and they can't seem to get this life that we're talking about. They can't seem to seize what life actually is. And we have all kind of, kinds of anesthetics, don't we? And Christmas is the biggest anesthetic of all, to cover over that little pain that we have or that little nagging thing in our heart that we think about all the time. Christmas sells us the American dream, doesn't it? If you just have a little bit more under the tree, like remember when the Lexus commercials first came out, some of you, like putting a bow on top of a Lexus for Christmas? First of all, I'm like, that's our money. <laughs> like... I can't, if I drove a Lexus to the front yard, my wife would be like, how are we 
going to pay for that. You remember we have one bank account. I don't understand how that is a gift. By the way, I've got to introduce you to my family. Sorry, I jumped right over it. This is us in Huntington. Aren't they cute? I am... You're clapping for me. Yes. The fruits of our passion are very cute. I, I am a consummate, perfect father and husband, as you can tell by this picture. The look we were going for was the picture that comes with the frame. So... I think we nailed it, yeah. But if you're one of our financial supporters, you get that as a postcard to put on your uh, fridge. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but you will. Um, that's my wife, Jessie. Um, she is unbelievable and patient and wonderful through multiple identity crises that I've faced over the last five years. <laughs> and men, you know what I'm talking about, you just don't tell anybody. Um, and then that's my son, uh, my older son, David Leonidas. He's three years old. Um, and then my younger son, Ethan Everest, is two, so um, we knocked them out pretty quick. And then you can't see her yet, but in my wife's belly is a little daughter, Summer, um, on the way. So we're very, very excited for her to join our lives. And my wife says, this time, you're getting fixed. <laughs> done. We're done. I remember... Um, you want to show the other one just because it's cute and they're holding hands? That's like brutally cute, right? I heard like a couple like gray, like bearded old men in the back like, yeah, that's cute. That's the cutest thing I ever did see. All right. Um, enough of the family. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I remember um, at five years old losing the magic of Christmas, and I think everyone remembers that moment where they may have asked their parents a particular question and that magic went out the door. I knocked on the bathroom door while my mother was indisposed um, because as you know if you're a parent of toddlers or young children no place is sacred any longer. That used to be a place of peace you know and now it's a place of I feel exposed and awkward and I'm not sure why you just barged into this room but I remember her telling me something about Christmas, and then from that year on, I, I didn't really have the magic anymore. I couldn't, like before that, I couldn't really sleep at night. You know what I mean? If you remember, like, waiting, like, what's Santa going to leave behind? What's Santa going to leave underneath the tree? And then after that moment, I was like, ah, you know, I'm not sure if I believe any of it, you know? And you kind of become like a cynic almost at a super young age when your brain starts to work. And then I remember, I remember turning about 21 years old. And my sister sat me down. I was in Sydney, Australia. My sister sat me down and she told me a story or a narrative about my family. Um, that's my parents to share. But I found out in a kind of a brutal and straightforward fashion that Life wasn't what I thought it was growing up. And the relationships that I thought I had and the people that I could count on were completely different human beings than I thought they were. And there are two different responses, right? So when I was five years old, that initial response was to be sad, right? I responded like a little kid. I cried. I was upset. When I was 21, I said, you know what? There's no real point in feeling this at all. And the reality of it is, so many of us in this room, whether it's a lost love, 
whether it's a broken heart, whether it's finding out your parents are human beings. Every single one of us has been disappointed by relationships. We've been disappointed by life. We've been disappointed by careers. I know so many men and women in this room have looked forward to particular things in their life and been brutally disappointed by them. And then we come into this Christmas season and everyone's like, let's be happy. Let's be joyful. I was talking to someone after the service, after, um, after the last service, and it was super fun. But they came up to me and we were talking about family and stuff. And I think there's 25 of us now in my like, immediate family because of kids. Um, there's 12 or it's going to be 13 grandkids. And we're all going on a family vacation to Hawaii next year. And someone asked me, like, hey, are you excited? I'm like, am I excited to spend a few grand to manage like 30 people? I don't know. Normally people get paid for that, <laughs> right? But family isn't always what we expect and it's not always perfect. And there's things in our life that we had expectations for and life tends to thwart us. And I would suggest sometimes that even God thwarts us because we're looking for false gods. No matter what it is, there's an anesthetic that we all choose, whether it's a Netflix binge, if it's pornography, if it's frustration, if it's fantasy about relationships with other people, if it's that conversation that lasts just a little bit too long with someone of the opposite sex and you're already married. It can be big or small things. But we're all looking for some kind of anesthetic and it's just a pagan little household God that will fail us in the end. And it always does. It always, always does. Because you see, the search for joy is not a search for joy itself at all. The search for joy is to be completely known and completely loved and cared for. I'll say that again. The search for joy isn't a search for joy at all. It's the desire deep in every human being to be known from top to bottom, inside and out, all our weird little quirks. If you're a nose picker like me, you know, sometimes you're a hard person to love. But the reality is what Jesus offers us is something completely different. So you think about it this way, like I have a two and a three-year-old, right, that I just showed you. Kids aren't super useful. Like, think about it. Like, kids aren't like, yes, they're here. Now we're going to accomplish so much. It's like, I am so tired. And I drink so much coffee. And my adrenals are shot. And everything is broken in my body. And I'm only 33. And why do my knees hurt now? It was like, everything was fine. And then I had children. And things started breaking. I'm like, I need these, God. I need these things to help them. <laughs> but my kids aren't really happy because... I give them things. My kids aren't really happy because we have a nice house. My kids aren't happy because even for momentary, like moments, they're happy, right? I'll give them a toy and they're stoked about it. But honestly, most of it's going to be trash in a couple of years anyways. They're happy because I'm obsessed with them. And I have no idea why. They add value to my life in a way that is not a real production. They don't have jobs. They're not providing anything for me except for a lot of inconvenience, really. But in real life, I see God seeing us when I look at my boys. It's like, we can do nothing for God. 
Think about it. Are you going to pay him in some way, shape, or form? Are you going to produce something or create something that he couldn't think of himself? Are you going to be as righteous as him? That's one of our best anesthetics, isn't it? Religious service. If I just bury my head at church, I'll be more righteous. The reality is, what we offer God is him enjoying us. Have you ever thought about that? The wild nature of what Jesus did, him saying he, he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. See, we live in this world where we can't really figure out what it is that we're missing. You can put the, some of those verses up on the screen. This is what Jesus says. You will drink from this well, and out of it will flow li- rivers of living water. I have told you this so that your joy may be full. I have come to give you life, and life to the limit. Next one. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Life to the limit. Life to the full. Life beyond what you could imagine. Life that is so unbelievably good that a couple of men from Galilee that walked with Jesus for three years were beaten with rods, and they went back to their friends and said, Thank you, Jesus. We praise him because we have joy. Because we have joy because we're thankful to have endured shame for the name of Jesus. I imagine coming home to my wife and telling her that I just went to church and preached Jesus, and I was beaten with rods. Go, hey, so generally, like, our life is just going to be unsafe now. Let's praise him. (laughs) That's the kind of joy that these guys had. That's insane. They're living in that promise. They're living in that reality. And the bottom line problem is the human condition is we're all running around trying to make our own righteousness. Oh, we do it in lots of different ways. And every human being does it. But we're trying to find a way to God or trying to, trying to find a way to avoid him, trying to make ourselves good people, so to speak. But we can't do it. I love Christmas trees. I don't care if you think it's pagan. It is a little bit. But I love Christmas trees. And I love cutting down that noble fir and putting its carcass in my house and putting glowing little balls on it. This year was the first year my son David um, actually enjoyed Christmas, and he put on like his little Santa hat, and he's walking around, he's got a little lisp, he goes, Kithmas, 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 and it's like the cutest thing on planet Earth, right? Like the magic is like all kind of like back in our house for Christmas time. But we talk about Christmas a lot, and Christmas season a lot, and we talk about joy associated with Christmas. But there's something I realized about Christmas trees that kind of hit me when we put this last one in. So the winter solstice every year is the 21st or the 22nd of December, usually. It's the darkest couple of days of the year. And we bring light into our home in the darkest season of the year. See, the joy of Christmas is never about the gifts. It's never about the consumerism. We all know that stuff. We all know that's not the truth. Deep down inside, we know it. The real joy of Christmas is the fact that Jesus came. 
But not just the fact that he came, the fact that he came in order to die. In a sense, like my Christmas tree now, like when I look at that thing in the corner of my house, I'm seeing the cross of Jesus. I'm seeing what he was born to do. I'm seeing how he came for us, how he humbled himself. Like he was a tiny baby. This God got potty trained by Mary. Do you ever think about that? Like Jesus had accidents. <laughs> he poo-pooed and pee-peed on the floor, like in his house. That's God of heaven and earth. Come to us to humble himself, and for the joy set before him, which is you, you being accepted and brought into a brand new family that he's building. He doesn't just say the kingdom of heaven is at hand because he wants us to, to go die to ourselves for some random reason. Oh, this is the punishment for me. I'm going to make it through. We turn it into this like self-righteousness thing. No, Jesus says you have to die. Dying is a lot easier than trying to be self-righteous. Because the things that aren't bearing fruit in our lives have to die so that we can live. Jesus isn't some masochist that loves punishment. He's telling us to die so that we can have life to the full. Too many of us are living half lives. We're zombie Christians. We're doing it halfway and we're like, where's the promises of God? What's God doing in my life? How is this actually going to work? He's saying, die so you can live. Go all the way. Go all the way because I want to bring you in. I want to show you how big my love is. Don't shut off your heart. Don't let it go numb. Don't do, the, don't do the things that continually numb it. I encourage you today. Drop the things that you're numbing your heart with, whatever they are in this Christmas season, and let yourself feel again so you know what it is that Jesus can put in his hands and heal and resurrect. So you can live in the kingdom of heaven on a daily basis. We say joy to the world. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Jesus crushes the head of our enemy, the enemy of all mankind. All evil was spent and exhausted on him at the cross. It had nothing left to give. Three days later, he comes back from the dead. Not just, it's just not a, it's not a footnote that he's alive. He's alive and seated at the right hand of God, competently ruling the universe and holding our hearts in his hands. He is really alive. That's the point. <laughs> and don't you see the restoration that he performs? Who are the first people to see Jesus in the garden? The women. And they thought he was a gardener. Oh, and he was. The second Adam. The one that would cultivate the earth again in his resurrection power. He would return again and rule and reign. And the first thing he does is go to the first group of people that ate the fruit. And instead of bringing the knowledge of good and evil fruit to the men, they bring the good news of the resurrected Lord. That's my Christmas. My Christmas is the gospel. My Christmas is my hope in Jesus. Because the only way that we can truly have the joy he talks about, ups and downs and everything around, because our God is not a God of the mountaintops, 
than just a God of the valleys. He's the God of every single portion of your life. The dark places and the light. Jesus is restoring people to himself right now. But the point was never trying to get there. The point was receiving what he has to give. So many people, especially men like me, think that need to achieve for God. But I'm realizing more and more, I don't have anything to give him but what he wants, and that's me. You have nothing to give him but being his child. And out of that, God, I want to obey him. God, I want to do everything he asked me to do. Jesus, I would die for you. I'm just going to live again anyways. Imagine a kingdom where even death is safe. Even being hurt and abused and tortured for your faith is safe. Imagine a world like that. Now imagine a love like that. Let's turn to Hebrews 12 too. And I'll finish here and the worship team can start to come up. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross and the resurrection are the reason that we can have joy. It's the reason for Christmas, or to put it cheesy, the reason for the season. It's not just him being born in a manger 2,000 years ago. It is the fact that he was born to die for you and he found you. One of the problems that we have is that we think we found Jesus. People say, that, oh, I found Jesus, brother. No, you didn't. He found you. You had nothing to do with you getting saved. And you're not the one doing the saving. Let me take the pressure off you. You are not Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You cannot save yourself or anybody else, but you can share the good news. And that's where the joy resides. The fact that I couldn't do anything. I couldn't save myself, but all I can do now is love and obey. All I can do now is love and obey. Let's put up the last passage. John 15, 9 through 13. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy, you hear that? His joy. Not your manufactured joy, not the thing you're trying to make, not the thing you're trying to buy, not the thing you're trying to create or manufacture. His joy. My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete, fulfilled, absolute, mature, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. After all this, the joy of Christmas, the joy that we can walk with on a daily basis is simply Christ himself. There's nothing more that needs to be added there's nothing more that we need to add to our walk in faith but Jesus Christ alone, cornerstone, the, the rose of Sharon, the one who saved us, the, the child that became a man that died and rose again, the king of kings, the lion and the lamb, the one who came for you. There's nothing more.
need to stop searching for joy where the counterfeit is. And the only way that we'll be able to spot the counterfeit is if we continually spend time with the real thing. Be with Jesus. You want joy? Be with the one who's supremely joyful and enjoys you as hard as it is to believe.